Welcome to Ideas at ND, the official podcast for the Idea Center at the University of Notre Dame. This podcast features conversations with some of Notre Dame's most creative entrepreneurs and inventors. In our episodes, we dive into the stories, ideas, and people driving innovation at Notre Dame. In this four-part podcast, Brian Ritchie, Vice President, and Kathy and John Martin, Associate Provost for Innovation at the University of Notre Dame, and Tom Crotty, a Senior Advisor at Battery Ventures and a Notre Dame alumnus, discuss why Notre Dame established a separate for-profit venture capital investment fund, why it acts as the general partner and has external limited partners, how the fund is structured, and how other institutions of higher education can build something like it. Part two. So we closed the fund in May of 18. I think we did a two-close process. May 18 was the first close. That's right. And the second close in like July of, of 18. So That's exactly right. We're, we're approaching two years in. Uh, how much of the fund have you invested at this point? It's gone very rapidly, much more quickly than I had thought it might. Uh, we're in 27 companies right now. Uh, we're about 63% of the fund committed about uh, 30% of the fund invested and about 63% of the fund committed. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this goes given our COVID um, challenge at this point, but, but we were on track to have over 70% of the fund committed by the end of this year, calendar year. Um, so that's about right, about a three-year time frame to invest. Now, the fund is a little different than most seed funds in that we are – um, back-end heavy because we want to be able to get all the way to exit um, with these funds. So we're investing about a third of the fund up front and following with about two-thirds of yeah, the So you're going to reserve uh, almost two-thirds for following. That's, right. Yeah, that's right. right. We found through experience that if we can't get all the way to the exit, we leave a lot of money on the table. And right. one thing that a lot of administrators, and this is a question I'll put back to you and maybe we can both talk about it, is how did we get the people at Notre Dame in the higher administration capacities to be willing to do this, right? I mean, this is, this is not something that most administrators in universities are willing to consider for, for obvious reasons. Um, you know, how did we get this here and, and, and why is it important that we succeed? Because I think that there are some real reasons to think about this as a tool to help universities move forward. And I'll, I'll give some of my ideas out, you give some of your ideas. Yeah, well, I, I, I think without that RCC process and provost level commitment to, to the whole uh, um, idea, it w would have never happened. Um, but because it fell out of the logical uh, task force approach and the understanding that without capital, <laughs> you're gonna strand all that great intellectual property that the faculty and the grad students are, are, are developing. Uh, and there was no obvious place to find the money um, you know, it's not like Notre Dame had 22 million just sitting around. They could just give you and say, oh, go to town, Brian, invest it. Um, so, uh, you know, it took a while, you know, you get the general counsel uh, office obviously got involved and had to get comfortable uh, right. with, with uh, an independent return on investment vehicle. This is not a benefaction vehicle. It's a return. Yeah, with external LPs, right? I right. mean, that's another big part. Right. And so, you know, uh, it took a lot of time and effort and dialogue uh, with, with multiple departments within the university. But eventually, you know, I'll be honest with you, without a lot of anxiety or angst, um, the decision was made to green light pit road. 
Um, the LP base, what do we have? About 25 LPs, is it? Um, it's actually more than that. We have actually close to 40 LPs. Total. 40 LPs, sorry. Yeah. And um, I think we had, what, a, a half a million dollar minimum. Um, That's right. Uh, and it's always obviously got to be qualified investor individuals. Yep. Um, the, the, the LP base is uh, primary, primarily alums, uh, yep. but also local. Uh, uh, we had parents involved, Notre Dame parents. We have Notre Dame alums. We have local uh, organizations, some foundations, and, and, and local individuals who are not necessarily Notre Dame uh, ecosystem. So um, it, it's a pretty uh, balanced, I guess, uh, LP base and not necessarily just purely Notre Dame. So, that's right. That's right. And, and, and my, I think people are probably curious just on the terms of the fund. You, you quickly talk to the terms, the economic terms. Yeah, the economic terms. Um, so we did a, a three and 20 uh, in this first fund. So 20% carry, 3% uh, of the fee. Um, and I, I mentioned the 22.65. It's a 10-year investment period fund uh, with the opportunity to extend an, an additional two years. Uh, which we think is the right length. That's pretty typical for a seed stage uh, A level fund anyway. But Might, uh, might be too short. <laughs> might be too short. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, um, so pretty standard um, from that standpoint, which I think has been good for us as well. And I think that we're finding that I, we could probably run the fund on, on, on actually a more standard 2 and 20 really effectively. We didn't know that up front, but we've learned a lot as yeah. we've gone through this. Which is, which is why... Notre Dame uh, is fundamentally important as the general partner here because, in essence, they're contributing a lot of the overheads that the fund wouldn't have to use that's its right. fees for, right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. We're using the Idea Center facilities. Uh, you're being paid by the university. Um, you know, so there's some interesting synergies that don't mean that you have to drive uh, the highest fees. In fact, I think what sure. didn't we agree? It's three percent uh, up until we raise fund two, and then yep, it drops. That's right. Then it we'll drops to two percent, and then yep. in year ten, I think it drops to one percent fee. That's um, right. So that's right. allowed us to have some, you know, some uh, a little higher fee at the outset for some startup costs and things like that. But uh, it's a traditional VC, you know, uh, organized and structured fund, and and seems to be working great two years in. Yeah, and you know, I, I love that uh, the, the real advantage to the university are twofold that I want to draw out because I think they're important to recognize. Because there's no bite size, it allows us to take small bets on technologies that might otherwise not move through the de-risking process. So we might take, we might put 10,000 or 25,000 back into a lab to do some additional work to really make sure that there's a customer or that the technology is validated or that, you know, we could get to a prototype or something like that, that really moves this along. And if it wins, then we can actually bring in external investors to invest alongside us to continue that process to go forward. So there's a real research advantage, development advantage, let's call it a development advantage for the technologies at the university. That's, that's one thing. The other thing that a lot of people don't appreciate is that if this is successful and helps with the return, uh, monies back to the university are all unrestricted, right? So they can be used for anything. They can be used for students, they can be used for buildings, they can be used for whatever the university needs. And those of us that are um, well-versed in uh, the endowments at universities know that a lot of those monies are restricted, hard to spend, uh, difficult to, to you know, be agile with. So I think there's a real upside to getting this right um, from a, 
from a, a, a financial standpoint. Right, right. Yeah. Well, let me, uh, let me write, go to the questions. We've been about a half an hour in. Uh, we have a couple of questions here, and I'll just throw a few out to you as we go over these. So um, it says in the 2015 Idea Center proposal and the NDRCC report that alumni are described as SMEs or investors. Uh, would love to know your thoughts, Tom, on sourcing deals from alumni founders. Any advantages to alumni clients versus at-large clients with no Notre Dame ties? Maybe we ought to talk a little bit about the Notre Dame ties. I mean, why was that important to us that we wanted Notre Dame ties, went after that, both for our founders, our investors, our connections? Uh, talk a little bit about that. Well, I mean, you know, you're not going to find a more loyal and, um, and dedicated and enthusiastic alumni base out there than Notre Dame's alumni base. So, you know, when you're starting up a new fund and you're trying to get your sea legs, you start with family. And the Notre Dame family is big and it's broad and it's uh, really willing to help and roll up its sleeves. So, you know, it started by thinking through who are the obvious limited partner targets who had the sophistication and could bring some value to the, to the table as early investors. And then, you know, broadens from there to, uh, I, I know we have so many vibrant programs within Pitt Road and within the Idea Center to leverage uh, the Notre Dame parent and, and alumni network to bring talent to these startups, both at the board level, at the consulting level, to open up doors and, and try to you know, get customers in early revenue. And I know you spend a ton of your time building out your network of alums who will just roll up their sleeves to help the portfolio companies that we have. So, That's super important to us. That, in fact, the success of the fund, I think largely will be based on the help that we've gotten from so many people. So, so it was fundamentally important that we start with the core asset we had, which is the alumni base. Um, the parent base turns out to be a pretty uh, uh, nice add-on to that uh, because they, they become so, they're such raw, raw parents, even if they didn't go to Notre Dame. Um, and so that's an extension of the network. And uh, um, I'm not yep. sure if I fully answered the question, but. No, no, I think that's right. I think that uh, it's a place to start. It doesn't mean that that's where it always has to end, but we needed to get to the right people who would give of their time as much as they would of their financial resources to help us with this. Um, and again, you know, it's not a benefaction fund. So um, this is an ROI and they expect us to have an ROI, I think, which is an important driver in aligning interests. Certainly for the LPs. And what I've been so impressed with is how many alums are willing to roll up their sleeves and help you, even though they're not LPs and they don't, they're not going to get a personal ROI monetarily anyway. That's right. Out of the work they do for us, but they just want to help. That's very, that's a great point. I uh, got a question here from, uh, uh, from a, a listener said, how did you overcome objections by university compliance officers that an ROI fund would conflict with ND's not-for-profit status? Was this even an issue for us? Um, I've got a couple of thoughts on that. How about you? Did you run into, do you want me to go? Okay. So, take you start. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it turns out that universities already with foundations are already investing for profit uh, and for return. And so there's a lot of experience that they have in this space already. But we were able to create uh, the, the, the structures, and we'd be happy to help others that want to do this to see what we've done here um, so that we would not run afoul of those issues. I mean, they were certainly questions that our OGC was asking. 
and we were able to figure out how to do that. But uh, it turns out that that wasn't as difficult as we as you might have thought. Um, I don't know if you have other thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that the, um, there was a to the degree that there was angst and anxiety within the administration about this concept of an ROI fund. It was really around conflict of interest. Um, right. And, you know, and, and who was going to be investing and whether that would optically create a conflict or, or you know, open us up to uh, second guessing and that kind of stuff. But, you know, conflicts of interest are really, um, they're, they're not, if, if you're transparent and you disclose and you explain and you don't and try to manage. hide, and yeah, you don't yeah. try to hide then there's really not a lot of conflict. Um, and, and we put out a PPM, we, you know, we, 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 we put it out broadly. We, we didn't cherry pick who the LPs were going to be. Um, you know, uh, I think, I, I really think the administration was being forward thinking and forward leaning um, and got comfortable with it. And, you know, we're two years in and there hasn't been a peep or an issue or a problem or, or anything um, right. that's cropped up. And that doesn't mean it won't happen somewhere along the line, but so far so good. And, and I think that's the key issue. Just disclose, just tell everybody everything. Uh, and, and then you won't get yourself in trouble. Yep. Yep. No, I think that that's, that's a great point is that we're very heavy on the management and the transparency and the disclosure and that that has been a great way for us to stay on top of this. Um, we have another question here wondering if we're, we're aware of the new business preservation act and the endless frontier act. Uh, and if we're familiar with either, what are our thoughts? Um, I don't know if you saw this Tom, but um, the, the Congress is now thinking about a new act called the endless frontier act that will completely remake um, the national science foundation into a national science and technology foundation and that they'll add a hundred billion dollars to helping universities and other organizations commercialize and have an impact with the technologies that are being developed um, from that research. I, I know I personally was extremely excited to hear about this because I think that um, this will fit perfectly with the advanced thinking that's come out of the work that you and others have done to get Notre Dame on this trajectory. I think that we're going to be set up really well uh, to take advantage of those things as we go forward. I, I don't know if you've heard much about this or have many thoughts? Uh, first, I've heard of it. So I, I think being in quarantine and being in sheltered, uh, ha I must have missed it somehow. <laughs> but that's, that sounds to me like uh, a great use of capital uh, because it will, it, will, uh, it will gain leverage. I totally uh, agree. And, and multiple dimensions for the country, job creation, intellectual property creation, um, and return on investment if it's done right. Uh, so... Uh, and I don't, you know, given that relatively high level explanation, it seems like something that would be quite interesting and, and something that we should be thinking about supporting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes of that. I think we'll be able to take advantage of that, as will a lot of universities that are, that are thinking, um, you know, innovatively about how to do that. I have another question here about what is the co-investing model? Uh, this is a, this is a fun question. Uh, and, and I think we can both add a little here. Uh, yeah. 
So one of the things that has, has um, presented itself is as we take these small bites early on and de-risk these technologies, it becomes uh, pretty uh, obvious pretty quickly that there are opportunities for others to be involved. And frankly, those are great validation points for us. If we can convince others to invest in our projects with us, it helps us spread the risk and also helps us recognize uh, where we're finding value. So um, we open this up to other um, venture capital companies, angels, um, friends uh, that want to co-invest with us uh, to the LP base um, and make these opportunities available. So um, if you're an accredited investor and um, you're interested in participating with us, we'd love to have you join our ecosystem and, uh, and get familiar with some of the things that we're doing. So that, there's a lot of opportunities there. From my position on the Pit Road Advisory Board, my, you know, I don't have full transparent or full insight on the portfolio, but my sense of, sense of the portfolio is it's been very early stage, yep. seed, pre-seed, you know, some Series A. Um, it's been, I, I think, beyond just us, we've had a few institutional players doing deals with us. But more so, we've been getting angel investors uh, side by side to us in most of the deals so far. Is that That's right? Correct? That's exactly right. I think we're probably, you know, with our portfolio being on average probably no more than a year old. Um, some of the oldest ones being 18, maybe close to 20 months old. Um, you know, we're going to start to get some of the maturing ones looking for Bs and Cs eventually. I think that's going to take us into a whole different um, ecosystem of investor that mm -hmm. we're really not dealing with right now. But, you know, if these companies are progressing the way we want, we're going to want to have the uh, established venture capital ecosystem back in these deals. Um, yeah, no question. You know, one of the advantages we found is that sometimes these early investors that come in alongside us are capable of leading the A's and the B's later. And so getting them into the rounds at this point, get them socialized with the companies and get them, you know, comfortable doing that uh, a little bit later on. It's also bringing capital into the region. Uh, we're leveraging capital now that might not have ever come to this region based on the deals that we're helping to put together. So I think that's a benefit for the ecosystem as we're developing it here. Stay tuned for part three next week. Thanks for listening to Ideas at ND. For more information on this episode and others, visit our website at ideacenter.nd.edu slash about slash podcast.